Can you describe uh, 2020 in three words? A mom, a marine, and a fighter pilot. Hey everyone, welcome to the Rebuilding Pod with Missy and Crimson. I'm Crimson. This is our first episode. And you have just joined a new podcast where you're going to hear a political satirist and a strategist as we discuss topics ranging from politics to pop culture, but from a perspective of two progressives living in kind of the reddest of red states, Kentucky. It is a disaster in Kentucky. So I am the strategist. <laughs> so I am actually originally from Los Angeles. And so I moved here uh, before high school. And um, I currently live in northern Kentucky in Fort Thomas, which is right at the tip. Just the tip. Um, of Kentucky. So we are, I don't know, three or four miles below Ohio. So we're kind of the suburbs of Cincinnati. But um, I am academically trained in political science. I went to undergrad at University of Kentucky and I studied political science with the hopes of going to law school. I successfully did not get into every law school in this entire country, actually like 52 of them, um, minus the top 20 because I wasn't dumb enough to try to get in there. Um, but when I failed at that mission, I ended up in grad school for political science again, but I've studied political psychology with an emphasis on research methodology, which is good because um, that's how I was able to earn money. <laughs> political theory only takes you so far. The research part is what kind of got me on my feet. And after having kids, I just went back to my roots and I've decided that I'm dedicated to the cause of progressing our party forward. Um so as a Democrat, I'm the chair of our Campbell County Democrats, which is one of the counties here in Northern Kentucky. And then I also lead the Northern Kentucky chapter of Moms Demand Action. Um, and then I serve on boards here and there for progressive causes. And I work on campaigns, um, doing strategy and management. Um, and yeah, I hope to help turn Kentucky blue. And my name is Missy Spears. I am a Covington, Kentucky resident. I moved here in 2011. I live, uh, I don't know, maybe like a five minute walk from Ohio. So I am in like a very northern tip of Kentucky. I got my start volunteering locally. Uh, and in 2015, I created Keep Your Shirt on Covington, which is a, a, local, a local brand that uses political satire for community good. In 2018, I ran for city commission in Covington as a Republican. I will build a great, great wall on our eastern border. And I will have Newport pay for that wall. A good amount of attention. I lost badly, but it opened new doors for me. Uh, that's when I started to make new friends within the Democratic Party. I got officially involved with party politics. Uh, started to pay attention at the local and state levels. Um, currently, I'm in, in the new Leaders Council class of uh, 2021. And I'm finally a registered Democrat. We all make mistakes in life, children. Which leads us to today's episode, The Great Kentucky Democratic Divide, a.k.a. Why Can't Kentucky Progressives and Moderates Play in the Same Sandbox? Because we're different, but we're the same. We're different, but we're the same. It's an it's a important topic, and it's safe to say that there is some tension between um, the more progressive and moderate wings of our party here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as you said earlier, we do live in the reddest of red states. We are screwed. So if Democrats are going to win seats back in Kentucky, we really have to be united. What does it mean to be a moderate versus a progressive Democrat in Kentucky? So I think sometimes we overestimate the power of progressive versus moderate, whereas it may be more populism versus establishment. Um 
And I think that that's where we're at kind of in national politics. And here in Kentucky, it's a little bit different because I think that we do have more of, I mean, what do they call them? Like blue dog Democrats, right? So the labor unions, the people that are traditionally democratic on um, a lot of economic policies, but maybe a little bit more conservative on social policies. So that's really how I see the Kentucky landscape in terms of, moderate versus progressive, I find that, and I see it within, you know, my own county, I feel like the more moderate people on the executive committee for Campbell County Democrats, for example, we all share the same values, but not necessarily on the social issues. So um, they might be a little bit more timid about gay rights. They might be a more timid about um, racial equality. Um, And those may not be the top of their list issues. Whereas I feel like on the progressive wing of the party, those are our issues. I feel like we're more socially conscious and like, so I feel like it's hard to pull them apart for me because I see us connect on the values part, but it's like the means to the end. But I do think the biggest divide is really on those social issues, um, being abortion, equality, um, racism. And, and I think those are kind of the hardest issue. Yeah. Racism is a big one. Yeah. And I, I really think it's not like, I think with Democrats, we can't fool ourselves and act as though, the Democratic Party is not, doesn't have racist people in it. So in this particular way, white people are all racist. So I just want y'all to know that up front. It's more unconscious maybe on, on the Democratic Party side, but it really comes down to the means to the end, I believe. And I think that yeah. brings us to something that we have to talk about, which is the elections that have occurred in the last couple of years here in Kentucky, because I think when we drill down those campaigns, we'll see, I think we all agree on what we're trying to achieve. It's just how we get there. And I'll even put it as far as saying most of the people I would consider more moderate in the democratic party, at least here in Northern Kentucky, they're at peace with the fact that the parties become more progressive. Like I don't, And maybe I'm just seeing that in my own county, which is a very small sliver, but I feel like they're kind of have come to terms with the fact that the progressive movement is here. Um, It's just that I think it's hard to let go of the old processes. So again, we're back to means versus ends, right? No, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. And we're going to talk about that more later too. And you had mentioned, uh, you know, looking at some some elections, some recent elections in Kentucky that really showed this progressive moderate divide. And I would say probably 2019, the governor's race was really big with that when we had Andy Bashir, Adam Edlin and Rocky Adkins going against each other. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and into the whole he goes. Yeah, talking about the full spectrum of the Democratic Party, right? So for those yeah. not from Kentucky, <laughs> Rocky Adkins is pro-life, but he's a Democrat. Um, So, you know, he did vote for like uh, the six-week abortion ban. Um, So he is definitely a more conservative Democrat. Um, And then we had Andy Bashir, who was the moderate, um, but he was also the 44-year-old moderate. So there was a generational thing there. And then we had Adam Edelin, who was full-blown progressive. I mean, he, his big passion in life is uh green energy and so he was kind of on that end of the spectrum 
Yeah, I, I do think it's interesting, though, in the governor's race that all of them were very specific roles in terms of, you know, conservative, progressive, moderate. And then they all kind of betrayed their roles at the same time. You know, Edelin was like the most progressive guy, but he also like criticized, uh, you know, uh, Kaepernick. Yeah, that's true. You know, Adkins is very pro-life, but I don't know if he would have been a pro-life governor. Uh, to some extent, he's playing the game down there to stay in office. You know, it's what his constituents wanted him to represent. and He did. As governor, you know, he would have had a different constituency. What if he, he has stayed with that? That's that's a very good point. I never thought of it that way. And then Bashir, you know, he's come out as governor with like some pretty bold progressive steps. Right. So those that aren't in Kentucky. So between these three candidates, Bashir got the ticket and he won by like less than 6,000 votes. It was within a 1% margin. But to your point, we thought we were electing this moderate but he, the first thing he did was one of the most progressive things he could have done, which was the restoration of for voter uh, rights for it was 140,000 Kentuckians or something yeah. along those lines. He kind of shows, exemplifies this idea that we are really united on our values, our core values. It's just how we express those and how we turn those into policy and how we fight for those policies that are different. And so um, while Bashir may be a moderate, we're seeing him run the actual governor's house as like a pretty progressive Democrat. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. With uh, battling COVID, uh, you know, he offered the provisional Medicaid. So anyone in the yep. state without insurance can get it. Uh, he prioritized black Kentuckians through his daily briefings and actions. Um, he's just been amazing to watch. Yeah, and he's actually represented a value that I don't think we give him enough credit for, which is vulnerability. He is absolutely willing to go to a vulnerable place with you, and he does it at a statewide level. And I think that um, of all the things he's done, minus saving thousands of lives from this beast that is COVID, he's really shown a pathway for future leaders from younger generations of how to lead with a level of vulnerability that's needed in today's world to help us connect versus divide us. And to go back to the division in 2019, um, and I don't know if this is true for you, Crimson, but if you would have sat me down with eight of my friends, uh, three of us would have liked Bashir, three of us would have liked Edlin, and three of us would have liked Adkins. It felt very, um, very even in terms of who supported yeah. who the Democrats. I've thought about that before, and I wonder if that's how, because I feel like um, the, the minute Andy got the the nomination, I don't feel like I heard like the, uh, you know, everyone just kind of like rallied behind him. And I don't know yeah. if that is because Bevin was such like an evil villain. This nitwit governor yeah. uh, in Kentucky. When you're up against like the fucking yeah. penguin, like, of course, you're going to like unite, but... I really think like he was one of us once he became our candidate. And so I feel like as much as, you know, this, this conversation is about like the great divide. I didn't feel like we were divided after 2019 at all. Yeah. I don't feel like we were either. We, everyone came together pretty quickly after that primary. No one, I, as far as I know, there weren't, there weren't many feelings hurt or anything like that. I wish we could learn from that and stay united, but that brings us to the next election that we've had, which is this past election, which was the McGrath versus, 
It was a disaster. Oh <laughs> it was God. a fucking disaster. It's a McGrath sticker. Yeah, I let's call a spade a spade. It was a shit show beyond belief. And it was extremely divisive. And I think that's why it brings us back to this great Kentucky divide because that campaign is where we saw major divisions. And unfortunately, I think there are long-term divisions within our party from that campaign. It got dirty. It got ugly. And maybe not even with the candidates as much as with the supporters. You've been McGrath! And I think that was a campaign that hurt us in the long run. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The the Booker McGrath primary, it uh, it split us as a party. It it split progressives, moderates. Uh there's plenty of anger around the the Kentucky State Party and how it was ha- handled. Uh there's anger at Amy's campaign, um, at her supporters. It's it's kind of fucked up the uh, Democratic Party in Kentucky for a little bit. Yeah, and I and I and we're going to suffer the consequences of it for a long time. And I think she came in early because she was kind of seated by the party to come in early. Um, we had Mike Boyer, which was kind of like the alternative for a long time, which he had no political experience, a Marine and farmer from, I think, Lincoln County. Um, but from a rural area, but he was extremely progressive. So as a member of Moms Demand Action, he was a huge supporter of Moms Demand. He took an endorsement for Moms Demand, which, um, you know, uh, Booker eventually did, but we'll get there, but something McGrath wouldn't, wouldn't do. Um, and we had just those two candidates for a little bit of time. And in that time, nothing really happened. Amy didn't really do anything. And then um, we got our progressive, right? Which was Charles Booker. I've been invisible to people like Mitch McConnell my entire life. So Charles Booker is a state house representative from um, West Louisville. Uh, he has quite the resume. I mean, I think I think he has a law degree. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, he had worked uh, for like, <laughs> I always mess this up and it's so annoying. Like the fire or the fish wildlife <laughs> or something the agriculture and nature preserve if there is a god and he truly was pro-nature then why would he invent botox um and then he ran for state house and won um and booker is a proud progressive for sure um he uses his yes. voice very loudly you know when i met uh charles his charisma is something that you can't hide. And I know for me, I met him right when I kind of got into like the establishment politics, you know, going from being a activist to establishment was a hard push for me. And he was at one of my first like, you know, Kentucky Democratic Party meetings. And his charisma just like spews out of him. And I immediately knew what we had on our hands, which was he was he was the bench of Kentucky progressives. And so I was excited he was running. I was, I didn't want him to give up his state house seat. So Kentucky state house is really suffering. And I was worried about that, but luckily he was replaced by a Democrat. So the harm was minimal, but, um, so he got into the race kind of late in the game. Um, and he really didn't hit his stride until the murder of Breonna Taylor. He hit the streets just like many people did. 
Um, he started fighting for racial justice. He was at every march that you could imagine. And, you know, through this time, Amy was just absent. And there were a lot of variables that were playing into this, right? So Booker caught his stride late in the game. We had our primary delayed because of COVID for a month. And mm-hmm. and we had in-person early voting, mail-in voting, and then day of voting, which is completely different for Kentucky, who only had day of voting prior to 2020. We also had a building animosity towards Amy. So yeah. Amy announced uh, uh, like a year and a half before before the election. She announced a good six months before Charles, and she flopped early. Um, you know, a main part of her campaign was to bring over, you know, more conservative leaning folks mm-hmm. in Kentucky. You could definitely tell that by their campaign strategy. Uh, she came out almost as a pro-Trump Democrat, really toeing the line. She released ads from the jump saying that she would not stop Trump's agenda going through like Mitch McConnell has. She came out in support of Brett Kavanaugh, then went back and flip-flopped on it. Uh, and then maybe her biggest fuck up was Matt Jones was considering entering the race for Democrats. Um, he's definitely a more moderate Democrat. He runs Kentucky Sports Radio, so he has a huge UK sports following throughout the state. She got him kicked off the air. And he's huge for, I mean, he is not apolitically huge. I mean, universally in this state, Matt Jones is like a god. He is everyone's ear. And so instead of, you know, allying, you know, creating an allyship with him, uh, she gets him kicked off the air, pisses off his viewers, and immediately upsets the moderates and conservatives that her entire campaign is set up to grab. Exactly. And, And there was no real attempts to, like, undo the wrongs. And I just... You know, and and we we should caveat this because we know we'll have some friends listening that probably worked on McGrath's campaign. And she surrounded herself by amazing, and I want to call her out for women. Um, Her team was heavily women, and I so respect that. Um, Yes. And she had a lot of really smart women around her and smart people around her amazing staff and she had unlimited resources and really the world was her oyster and as many mistakes as she made she could have come oh she could have overcome them in many ways but i think that you know something that we've discussed not on the air but it she never was willing to make that pivot it was like I never really understood what the plan was other than we're going to try to get republicans to flip over to me which just from a political science perspective, I'm like, you have Trump on the ticket. Yeah. He's a cult leader. You are not going to get them to flip this time. Um, so I never understood that approach. And something that I spoke to her about when I got to meet with her was, you know, it's not about moderating Republican values. They don't want to be moderate right now. They have the most radical president ever. It was about moderating the Democratic votes or expanding the electorate. And the only way to do that is to reach out to communities that have been disenfranchised over time. And she didn't do that. And she continued to flop after the primary, too. You know, they were unable to bring over the progressives that Charles has brought on. And the amazing thing that Charles did, and in addition to helping Andy Bashir get those 140,000 uh you know, the previous felons voting rights back, which was huge for any Democrat that was on the ballot. You know, she continued to uh, ignore the Black Lives Matter rallies. 
uh, she released racist ads. Uh, oh, I didn't even know about that. Oh my God. It was, they blamed China for the virus. Mitch McConnell was sitting in Washington behind a desk. And why is he smiling? His trade deals made China richer, their military stronger. They're spying on us, and they didn't stop the coronavirus. Uh, she did a tone-deaf ultimate law enforcement ad. While Amy McGrath was bombing terrorists, the ultimate law enforcement... Oh, how did I miss all this? They're on YouTube <laughs> if you want to watch them. But it's it was just very tone-deaf. It was like they set this plan 18 months early, and they never pivoted despite what was going on around them in the world. Uh, and, and, and to their credit or in their defense, whichever one... A lot of shit happened in this cycle. So it's like 2020 is going to be the biggest election of our lives. Yeah. And then we had Breonna Taylor murdered. We had COVID hit. We had George Floyd. Uh, George Floyd. The we 20 had, other black people um, that were murdered for no reason. Well, I think that happened just today, probably. Yeah. Um, but and and I just, you know, again, I, 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 it's so easy to play Monday morning quarterback, but to be clear, I was saying this during the campaign too. You got, I mean, part of being a, a, a good leader is being able to pivot. And that's something, you know, like today, Andy came out and said, look, the vaccine rollout's a shit show. This is how we're pivoting. I mean, part of being a leader is being able to pivot. Absolutely. And I feel like they have this idea of like, Let's recreate the Obama idea, right? Like we're going to find all these community influencers and we're going to, she had people from Warren's campaign who were really good at the grassroots organizing. And I think they have this vision of like, let's go create like a network and get community influencers, which is yeah. exactly what Obama did to his success. Right. But I think the thing that was missing is that people wanted more from her as a candidate, you know, and yes. I understand. Like, look, I'm a white suburban mom, right? And the Breonna Taylor case, like that I could understand when I was empathetic. Okay, you're a white older woman, not older. That's I mean, I don't know how old she is. She's not that old. She's a mom of three young kids and a marine. I look at things through the lens of being a wife and a mom and a United States <laughs> Marine. Uh and well, that's a whole nother discussion we'll get to, but um yeah. You know, like with the Breonna Taylor situation, I understand if your primary candidate is a black man that lives in the same city as the person that was murdered, that you would feel weird doing the performative part of politics, right? Of like hitting the streets and taking to the streets and using that megaphone. But she had many options. One, write a fucking policy, yeah. right? Like. I should be able to go to your website and see what you think about police reform. I should be able to go to your website and see what you think about race relations. I should be able to go and see, especially when those are the issues of that moment, right? And so you don't have to lace up your boots and go hit the streets like Charles did. You could do that. Or you could lace up your boots and stand next to Charles and forget that he's a primary candidate and forget the divisiveness and stick with the issue. And I think both of those things would have been better than just kind of being yeah. silent on it. Um, she really didn't, I mean, I have to be completely candid here and I hate saying this, but I still, and I don't think I ever will know what their strategy was. Like their plan was to win, but there was nothing but that, right? Like they were doing small events that were hard to hear about and that wasn't their fault. That's COVID. Yeah. But you have to campaign in the environment that you're in. 
and doing small little get togethers. And I, I didn't go to any of them for people that don't know me. I haven't left my house since March 14th. So I didn't go to any of her events, but I'm guessing it's like a lot of Kentucky democratic politics where the same people show up to the same, same thing people over and over again. Yeah. They're all, all party the same people. people show up. You're not changing anyone's vote. I mean, you know this, I tried to set up multiple times an event with her with like 10 to 15 local black community mm-hmm. leaders, business owners. There's just people that would be able to go back to their, to their communities with like the enthusiasm of Amy, you know, Amy just, everyone right, tells me she's better in person. We'll show up and like, let's just talk, answer their questions. You know, they weren't all Democrats. Some of them were libertarians, Republicans, independents. Right. And, 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 and this isn't even just from a political campaign management standpoint, even when you're managing people in corporate America or whatever, um, you know, I always had a saying when I had people work for me, which is, it's not my job to, uh, like bash you for your weaknesses. It's my job to mitigate your weaknesses and highlight your strengths right and i feel like one of amy's weaknesses was she didn't have that charisma it was that like one-to-one connection like when i met with her one-to-one i really liked her she was a really she's a solid human she's a great person her heart is in the right place she is a democrat i don't think she agrees with um the current Republican Party. Now, I would say she's a Reagan Republican, in my opinion, but yeah. that could be contested. Amy was um, where I wish the Republican Party was at this point. Exactly. She reminded me, when I met with her, it reminded me of talking to a Republican in 2001. You know, like, that yeah. was the feeling I got from her. And they put her in a situation where they're like, okay, we're going to set up these little events where you give your 15 minute pitch, but that's not where she, she really like, that wasn't her strength. Um, and so I wish they would have done more things like what you said, like small little get togethers with strategically target. Cause I think, and again, I don't know, but I think she was trying to recreate this Obama method of finding those community influencers to do the work for her. And the way you do that is exactly what you just said, which is those small get together with the key players in the community that can go evangelize for you. That's the only yeah. way to do it. And she yeah. didn't. I had six and or seven never meetings pivoted. with them and nothing was ever solved. Uh, I never felt excited about her and I never went out and did anything for her. Well, and I got to be honest, I still do not understand her policy platforms. Her website was vague. Yeah, even when I met with her, you know, finally, like with healthcare, I couldn't get anything not politician-y out of her, you know? And so finally I said, okay, you know what? As president, you don't get to pass healthcare. It's the legislative branch that does it. So if we get Congress and we get Senate, which God seems so impossible at that point, but um, if we get Congress and we get Senate and they pass Medicare for all, would you pass it? And she was like, if it was funded, Yeah. But that is still not answering the question, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, what what does that mean? And so um, I still just don't know where she stood on the policies, which is damaging. Even though they had the money, they had the talent, they had they the had resources. had over $100 million. Yeah, that's the last point here with Amy. The drain on the resources. You know, the bunch of – it was in a presidential election year in Kentucky – 
all of the money coming in, people wanted to give it to her. Everyone that wanted to volunteer went to her. All of the attention from our state party went to her. You know, we ended up, Crimson and I have talked about this a lot. The the, the more local the politics, the more it influences your life. Our state house is so important to us here. And we took a couple seats back in 2018 and we just got rock this year. We did. And a lot of it was the resourcing or it was trumping on the ticket. You know, I think that like as a data nerd, it it was both. I think we all agree the campaign was not stellar. So it is not a metric of the, the Democratic Party. It was more she drained our resources. We got destroyed in the state house. She got destroyed. I mean, she lost. It, it was a devastating loss, but losing the state house for people like me and you, it was a lot worse. And we knew that that was a potential because all of our resources were going to Amy McGrath. Yes. And well, I think both of us knew that it was going to be an unsuccessful attempt. Like, the, the, I feel like Democrats definitely knew that, that we were going to lose a couple state house seats in 2020. You know, like, we're not under any, like... We're not under blankets, like hiding our eyes. Like we know Republicans are taking over. Um, however, since there was no emphasis put on down ballot, ba- down ballot candidates, we lost 13 seats and Republicans now have a historical majority of 25 to 75. Like we have no power. Ugh. They can impeach our governor who's been saving our lives, which they're actually trying to do right now. And part yep. of it's because we completely focused on a Senate race and we forgot about everyone else below her. Yep. Yeah, and it was a strategic loss for the state party. It was a strategic loss for Democrats nationally. Um, And it was divisive. And I think that that is the worst part, is that we're coming out of it more divided than united. And with less, you know, one of the things I hope that that $100 would do was to build our county parties. And we didn't see that happen either. Yeah. So I don't feel like we're a stronger Democratic Party coming out of 2020. I feel like we're fractured. We have, we have to, you know, fix the wounds, heal the wounds before we can even get going on what's next. So it was a pretty devastating year. 2020 sucked for like many reasons, but that was one of them. Yeah, it was really bad. I love. And so we're kind of stuck in the cycle of like. We can't get to that progressive utopia to at least test it. Maybe, maybe we're wrong, right, Missy? Right? Maybe we're completely wrong and progressivism is not what's good. But we've never been able to try it because it's like we get in and after two years we lose the House or we lose Senate. We lose the ability to like actually pass our policies that represent our values. Well, we also need to say that Democrats are pussies. Try and earn money for college. Your mom goes to college. It's, it's not like we don't have these opportunities to pass things. It's that whenever they get in office and they get power, their first thing is we need to unify people. Right. Obama's first two years was unity. Uh, Biden's already talking about unity. When Clinton got in office, it was about unity. Yep. You know, they spent all this time getting people on the same page and compromising instead of doing shit. Questions? Yeah. I got a question. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? We end up with these fucking mediocre policies. By the time they get anything done, there's a midterm, and then we lose power. And then nothing actually happens. You were missing. You've been missing for almost two years. We thought you were dead. 
No, you're exactly right. I mean, that that is a great takeaway. Um, and, and to Republicans' credit, the one thing they've delivered on is they have made huge strides in um, ending abortion and reproductive rights for women. Um, so they have delivered on that. But on almost every other metric, I mean, look at Kentucky. We've had, we have the most prolific and historic senator from Kentucky, Mitch McConnell. I mean, say what you want to say about the ass. You're a virgin who can't drive. He he will be in the history books as one of the most productive and influential senators that ever, ever held the office. Oh, he's and, a chess master. Oh, he's brilliant. I will never take that from him. I- but what has happened in the 36 years that he has governed? Kentucky has just dropped lower and lower on every metric of success that you could pick, but they don't, they, they don't care about that. They care about owning the libs, stopping the socialists because of the framing and the messaging that the Republican party, and it's not just the framing and messaging, but it's also the platform. They have Fox news. They have Rush Limbaugh. They have these, these false idols that help re-embolden these ideas for them. And it's really hard for us to break through that. Yeah. And that brings us to our last, uh, our last point. How do we connect with Eastern Kentucky? A lot of our issues are socioeconomic based. And if we focus on the socioeconomic issues, we strip out race. Yes. We strip out um, social policies like abortion and uh, gay rights and, you know, go through the litany of social issues. But but to do that, we have to have authentic candidates. And so we have to start running people that have the understanding of the Constitution, that understand the state Constitution, that understand how the system works. But we also need people that are authentic and can speak on the socioeconomic issues and relate on the socioeconomic issues. We we, we can't have, for example, um, let me think of a candidate. I'll pick one that I haven't picked on. Um, Heather French Henry. So Heather French Henry, she worked, um, she was a Miss America, right? Um, she ran for yes. secretary of state and, uh, you know, she's a beautiful woman who married a man much older than her and she was Miss America. And she, I just don't, that vision or that, she completely fit the mold of what people say about Democrats. We're elitist. We're wealthy. We're and and put aside the hypocrisy of like the Trump situation, right? And so we have to start finding candidates that look like us, that represent us, that yes, that are not are just are authentic, but they're qualified and authentic. Absolutely. Speak on the socioeconomic issues. And it's really hard to speak on the socioeconomic issues when you're wealthy. I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? But we have it's hard. Like if you're wealthy, you can do it, but you have to be so authentic. So just kind of go off your your Heather French Henry to compare her to to your state rep, Rachel Roberts. My name is Rachel Roberts, and I'm no politician. 
who, you know, Rachel is upper middle class, skinny, blonde, cute, you know, female, uh, but she's fucking authentic as fuck. Right. She can walk into a garage and talk to a Trumpster for 20 minutes and turn him into a fan. Exactly. Um, you know, she, she can break down complicated things and talk to you in like just layman's layman's terms. So if you're going to have some woman from the suburbs or someone that has a little bit more money or someone that's a little bit better off, they have to be able to connect with you. You cannot give us a fucking Amy McGrath. No, you you can't. And and and, and Rachel's a perfect example of that. I mean, and and Charles and I mean, there's Rachel's a, amazing. I know we have so many crushes that we share, Missy. We are so lucky. Yeah. Oh my god. Like it's Booker. Andy has totally made it on the crush level. Rachel. Um, Andy is exactly what you see. I want to thank my mom and dad, Jane and Steve Bashir. He might as well oh be God. Andy fucking Griffith, right? Like he is. Yeah, Andy created his children with his eyes closed. Like he is the most innocent person <laughs> yeah. in the world. Yeah, like I feel dirty just being around him because of my foul mouth. Like, and and yeah. but it's authentic, right? And it proves the theory that it's not. It it doesn't matter what you are. In terms of like being like the nerdy, innocent dude versus the conservative blue dog Democrat versus the progressive, um, it, it matters about representing who you really are. And that was, and, yeah. and Andy em embodies that more than anyone. I mean, I, I like I said, that I feel so like true. dirty around him. Um, I never thought about it that way. You're so right. No, he's completely authentic in his innocence. And um and and as we've gotten to know him as a state, you know, like because we have daily briefings because of COVID, um you you see it every day. Like he like I always say like I feel like Andy looks at me like a child of God. I I just I think he embodies that authenticity that is craved, and that is part of the reason he's at what sixty seven percent approval rating, even yeah. with the right wing nut jobs trying to say he's horrible for trying to contain COVID. Um, but yeah, authenticity is the key. We okay. we have to be authentic and frame. How do we expand our electorate, and how do we reach out to people beyond our electorate to ensure that we are representing our values appropriately and holding our politicians to account i mean that's very true i agree with you on that that is something that we can start working on right now right and and, and the state party and i i do think yes. um for those that don't know we have a new chair of the kentucky democratic party that we call kdp um and he said it perfectly we're done bringing cupcakes and knife fights and we all agree i think that that inspired many of us within the establishment of the democratic party in kentucky and it made all of us fully aware that we need to pivot and stop being pussies yes yes democrats need to stop being pussies which is why we're here we should disclose we're recording this before obama or obama, obama. <laughs> i wish um before biden's inauguration i mean biden's pretty much obama just really old and white and not as good i mean but he was progressive in his his heyday you know like <laughs> it's, it's all about 30 years ago this guy um, 30 years ago he was the shit 30 years ago he was the shit i mean to be honest it was really hard for me in the primary in 08 because i loved biden so much um 
but then I met Obama and I was, I fell in love instantly. Um, uh, so the next episode, we're going to be talking about insurrection. <laughs> Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all the social media. We want to hear from you guys too. We really started this with the intention of opening up a dialogue and getting feedback because as people that are quote unquote establishment, um, it's important for us to represent you um, that aren't maybe in the establishment. And I think that's what we hope is to have hard conversations that represent the feelings of, of the Democrats all across the state um, from the moderate to progressive wing. And hopefully we can do that, deliver on that. Yes, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for tuning in for our very first episode of the Rebuilding Pod. Like Crimson said, make sure you follow us, give us a like, smash that like button, and uh, we will see you. Smash on our next- it. <laughs> we'll see you on our second episode as we talk about crazy white people. 